Well, I'm, uh, I'm not sure which one you said is your favorite Christmas movie of all time. Uh, no one was talking enough about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> David, were you? Okay. This is, this is why we come to church, to have the big conversations, the big debates about which Christmas movie is better. Uh, good morning. My name is Jared Stevens, one of the pastors here at Soul City Church. And I'm excited to uh, get into it with you this morning as we conclude our focus series, as we've been focusing in on the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Before we get into the text and where God is leading us here this morning, I do want you to take one second and look around uh, at the pillars in our room. You can kind of check a a scope of these. Uh, Many of you were here for our gratitude experience that we had Wednesday night. Uh, I guess you could call it Thanksgiving Eve. We'll make that a holiday. They made Black Friday a holiday. We'll make Thanksgiving Eve a holiday. And uh, we gathered here together and prayed and worshiped God together. And what you're seeing on the post was just part of what we experienced that night. But we left them up on purpose so that we would be reminded this morning of how much we have to be grateful for. That giving thanks on one day in November is an American tradition. But gratitude is something that God has created us for to live out every day of our lives. And so we have these notes. And I would encourage you before you take off today just to take one minute and read one of them. You don't even know who this person is, but you get a glimpse into what someone else is saying thank you to, to God, thank you for to God. It might just open your heart up that much more towards God and reveal what you have to be thankful for and grateful for. So I love the way that our church has no respect for this building. We just write on walls and tape stuff up on stuff, and I absolutely love it, and I love the time that we had together here on Wednesday night. It was so great. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into a debate that has uh, been going on for hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of years. A debate that affects every single one of us. All of us are affected by this great debate, but very, very few of us are even aware of it or would even put words to it. So there is this struggle, this battle, this tension that goes on inside of anyone who is serious about significantly following God, who's really serious about taking responsibility and, and following God. There is a debate, a turmoil, a tension that goes on within each one of us. And this morning, our hope in this time is that we would look to God's word and put an end to this debate in our lives and that it would change the way that we live and how we exist and move and breathe as a church here in the city. And the debate is simply this. When it comes to being spiritual, for lack of a better word, when it comes to having a relationship with God, when it comes to living this thing out, which is why we gathered here this morning, the debate is, does doing more spiritual things make me more spiritual? Or does being more spiritual make me do spiritual things? Okay, so these are, you know, I'm using vague terms because we would all you put different language on it. But basically, does doing God things make me more godly or does being more godly just naturally make me do more godly things? Do you see the tension? You see, the, have you ever felt it before? Ever felt the tension of going, boy, I, I, I feel like I'm behind. I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I, I, don't, I don't know if I get all this thing. And so. We can pick one or two sides. We can go, okay, you know what? I I need to do more. And maybe you grew up around or in a religious tradition that said that's how you get there, is you keep on doing. 
You just keep on doing. Like, God's coming back. Everybody look busy. Like, this is, you got to get to work and do stuff. And as you do, then you will become more spiritual. And there's some merit. Obviously, we wouldn't have this tension or, or, or debate inside of us if there wasn't some merit or truth to that. And then there's the other side that says, well, if I just be more spiritual, then I will eventually do more spiritual things. And that there's, there's fallback setbacks to each one of those. On the one hand, saying that I'm going to do more spiritual things and hope that it makes me more spiritual, do more godly things, and hope that by doing some of it will wear off on me and eventually I'll become more godly. The problem with that is, that we're going to get into this morning, is it's never enough. Anyone ever felt that before? You just simply can't do enough. And just right about the time you start to feel good about how much you're doing, you meet someone who's doing more. And that sets you all the way back. It's like shoots and ladders. You just can't win, right? So that, you lose that way. And then there's another way to lose by saying, well, I'm just going to be more spiritual and these good things will eventually come out of me. That's great. And we're going to look at what that really means in the Bible. The problem with that is it's so vague that no one necessarily knows what it means. What does it mean to be more spiritual? Think happier thoughts? What does that mean? Just kind of what, what does that look like? So this morning we're going to dive into that tension. Because if we don't, then we will continue to live in a cycle of frustration, guilt, maybe pride, or at the very least ambiguity, thinking that we've got it, but not ever really totally sure. This is a tricky one to nailed down. And I remember the school that I went to when I was in high school, I went to a private Christian high school in where I grew up in uh, the East Bay of San Francisco. And it was a great school, had a great experience, you know, all that kind of stuff. But there was a very interesting part of the school. In this school, like many schools, they give out awards at the end of each year. So there's awards for the person who's the greatest athlete, Right? There's awards for the person who has the greatest, highest GPA. There's awards for the most civic-minded person, you know, that basically means they volunteered five hours out of the whole school year, which is five hours more than anyone else. You know, there all these kind of awards that they would give out. And so it was kind of a big deal because you got your picture in the yearbook on the page of the people who were the most whatever. Well, at this school, there was a most spiritual award, which probably sent several people to counseling. Because it was this really interesting thing where at the end of the year, they would pick, and let's be honest, none of us were surprised with who they'd pick. Every time we're like, of course they picked Debbie again. Of course. She reminds us all the time of how spiritual she is. There was this weird sort of competition to see like, or they were at least trying to measure a competition that says, how do you, how do you measure who's most spiritual? How do you measure that? How do you measure spiritual growth or activity. And so when I saw that coming down the wire and knew kind of what my odds were going to be for that, I went for best dressed. And so I figured that was, God, me and God can work it out in heaven. Um, sadly, I didn't win, but I did win cutest smile. So, and that is true. So these are the things, I've put that on several resumes. Winner of cutest smile, Redwood Christian High School. Uh, so these are the things that you have to get after. How is it that you become more of who God created you to be? Is it by doing spiritual things or is it just by being? And so that's the tension that Paul speaks into when we are going to dive into our text today. Now, none of the people in this context and none of the people in this church were probably going for the most spiritual award. 
But every single one of us wants to be more spiritual. True? Every one of us at some level wants to grow. And so Paul is actually going to dive right into and destroy some myths about that and get into the truth of how that actually happened. So if you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 1090 in the Blue Bible. So if you happen to not have a Bible, pick up one of the Blue Bibles right in front of you. Open to page 1090. If you don't own a Bible, the Bible that you are now holding in your hand is yours, unless you borrowed it from the person next to you. But if it's one of ours, it's yours. And in fact, we put a pen in the back of the seat so you can underline some stuff. And I'm going to have you underline some words here in a second. So you might want to grab a pen, grab some notes to take with, because this is pretty big stuff that we're going to hopefully, by God's leading us this morning, going to put to rest and to death some of this debate inside of us. Again, a little context as we've been doing for the last couple weeks. If you missed week one and two, you can go back to our podcast, listen to those. But basically, the church at Colossae is a church that was probably about 15 years old. It was living kind of, it was existed in sort of an obscure town. Uh, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament, this is a letter that he sent to this church, probably written from prison, as he was prone to, to spending time in prison, uh, around 62 AD, as best we can tell. And he is writing this letter to this church to remind them of who Jesus is. Because this is what's incredible, and this may come as a surprise to you. The church had grown and grown and grown and forgotten about Jesus. I know that there's no churches like that today, but this church had grown and grown and grown and forgotten about Jesus. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 remember, remember Jesus? Remember Jesus? Yeah, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let's get back to the point at hand. And so he's constantly pointing out the supremacy and centrality of Jesus Christ. And we looked at in week one, in Colossians chapter one, Paul makes this beautiful big case for how powerful and great and mighty and before and through all these things of Jesus, how he holds everything together and reconciles all things. And then Paul wraps it up by saying, all the fullness of God which dwelt in Christ Jesus now dwells what? In you. That's a big deal. So not only should you not forget about Jesus, you should not forget that he's in you. And as we looked at in chapter two last week, this church had gotten obsessed with the new spiritual thing. What's the shortcut to getting the most from God that requires the least of me? And so Paul said, no, 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 you're you're missing the point because what you've done now is attached, you've hitched your wagon to religion. And religion is all about what I do for God, but relationship with God is about all that he's done for me. And so now we're coming around the corner in chapter 3, and Paul is addressing this church and what it means to actually grow and what it actually looks like. And so we'll start, if you would please, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says these words, and these first two words I want you to underline. It says, therefore, underline that, as, underline that. Now, this is huge, huge stuff when it comes to spiritual growth. Now, this is for those of us who call themselves Christians that are in a relationship with God. This is fundamental stuff that just like the church in Colossae, we tend to forget. Paul is having to make it as simple as possible. He's saying, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Let's hit pause right there. Paul is making a very big point right at the start of verse 12. He is saying, because you already are. God's chosen people, in relationship with him, in covenant with him, holy and dearly loved by God. So do you see the table that Paul sets here? He says, before you try the new spiritual thing or the new shortcut or the you try to do, 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 let me just remind you, you already are. Therefore, as God's chosen people. Therefore, as. This is huge 
Huge stuff. Because I think just like this church in Colossae, we so often forget who we actually already are. Who we actually already are in relationship with God and in relation to God. As people, he chooses and he loves wholly and completely. Paul says, therefore, because you already are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He goes on and says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance or anything that comes between you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're going to pause right there. Paul says, therefore, as, because you already are in relationship with God and in relation to God, already wholly, completely chosen and loved by God, because that's already true, put on these clothes, put on these attitudes, these things that are actually already available to you. Do you see the difference? We don't try and be more compassionate, try and be kind, try and be more humble. Do you see that? That's the sort of I'm going to do to hopefully be strategy. Paul says, no, you already are. And so because of that, put this on. Wear it out. Access what God has actually already made available to you. Very, very different. Put on what it looks like to live like Christ in this world. Earlier in this passage, Paul said that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Now Jesus has ascended to heaven. He is gone. Guess who gets to be the visible image of an invisible God in this world? We do. When we put on what's already been made available to us. When we're not trying on and trying on and trying to figure out, is this, how do I do this? Do I have to do more? No, we put on what's already been made available to us. This compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving each other. Put it on because of who you already are. And we live in a city that has a high, high, high fashion identity, has a great history with fashion. There's a lot of folks that dress to the nines and do the whole thing. And there's all kinds of scenes and all kinds of looks going on. And so much of that is people putting on clothes and putting on outfits, trying to be someone or something, attempting to be recognized as something. And even the ones that say they don't try hard at all, tried so hard to look like they weren't trying. They spent hours buying those beat up pants and shoes or whatever it is, you know, that look like they don't fit. All that stuff. Like, there's so much that we put on to attempt to be seen as something. We are putting on layers trying to be recognized. And my hunch is every one of us, or at least a good chunk of us in this room this morning, spent time picking out what you put on because you knew when you walked into this room, people would make some sort of assumption about you based on what you're wearing. Now, this is true for adults. This is in no way true for children. And I want to show you a picture that we took yesterday of our daughter at the movies. We said we were going to see the movie to the movies yesterday, go see the Muppet movie. We're so excited. Gigi says, awesome, I'm going to dress as a pirate. <laughs> I was like, but, it, but we're going to see the Muppets. There's no pirates in the Muppets. Like, mm-hmm. And so she goes and had already put on three or four layers of her own clothes, tights, you know, the whole thing, skirt, the whole thing. And then on top of that, puts on the pirate costume, which I think makes... Absolute sense at the movies. Absolute total sense. Do you know why she's doing that? She's not trying to be anyone. She's just, this is just what she's feeling right now. This is just what's true. I'm a pirate. 
I'm a pink pirate. I'm going to wear, I'm a pirate that wears striped tights. That's who I am. Kids don't care. They're not attempting to be. They're just living out. And that's the exact same truth that Paul has been here. Look, because you already are, wear it out. Wear it out. You already have the stuff. You already have full access to the fruit of the spirit. So put it on. Because when you do, you become the visible image of an invisible God and you become a signpost to others of what life actually could be like. And it actually becomes a reminder to you of who you actually are. Paul goes on to say these words. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, he's talked about this a lot in chapter two, you were called to peace. And he just throws in, and be thankful, right? Because it's always good to be thankful. And be thankful too. You see, he's giving instruction to these folks saying, look, 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 listen. This is sort of what it looks like. You already have this stuff available to you. Wear it out. Put it on. Live it out. You don't have to try. You already are. These things are fully made available to you in Christ. And this is huge teaching and very important for each one of us. For every one of us who tries to be more spiritual. It feels like we have to muster this stuff up. What Paul saying, no, if Christ is in you, this comes out of you more and more and more and more. And Paul says these words. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, which we're doing right now, and admonish each other, which means to challenge and to hold each other to the truth with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now just hit pause right there for a second. Paul's saying, look, this is what happens. Because you already are, you live this stuff out. You bring this with you to wherever you go. Your character goes with you to whatever context you walk into. Truth is, you can't control the context around you, but you can determine the character that you will bring. Many of us sat around tables this Thanksgiving where we could not control the context of that table. But if we live as though we actually believe Christ is in us and we already are in him, then we bring a character to the table that is greater than the context we find ourselves in. Paul says, as you do that, let the message of Christ, the truth of Christ, see how he keeps bringing it back to Jesus, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish each other through all wisdom and through psalms and hymns and songs. This is why we gather together here on the weekends, like this, on Sunday, so that we can be reminded and reminded of the truth of who God is and who he is in us. This is why we sing songs around here. I mean, it says right here in the text, this is why we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is why we have, that's why it's so important that we put this truth to melody because it stirs not only our mind, but our heart and our soul as well. And we respond by singing. This is why we gather together in small groups. This is why we believe that circles are better than rows at this church. Because there's an opportunity then for us to hold each other to the truth, to remind each other, to say, what are you wearing? That looks nothing like the character of Christ in you. Maybe in some of your small groups, you just say that. What are you wearing? But the, we hold a mirror to each other say, no, no, no. This is who you already are. And I need you to remind me of who I already am so that I can live out, wear out, more fully who Christ has created me to be. You see, this is why we gather like we do. And here's what's interesting. What can end up happening is 
we look to those things, these gatherings, these songs that we sing, these small groups, times like this where there's teaching, preaching. This is why we do all this stuff. We can look to these as the source of our spiritual growth. We can look to these things as the only way we are to grow. We can actually, in time, if we're not careful, look to these things that we sort of do when we gather together here or around this church as it basically becomes the church's responsibility for my spiritual growth. And so you all offer all this stuff, and so as long as you keep offering it, I'll keep kind of coming out and keep doing stuff. And listen, I, I need you to offer some more stuff because I'm not growing like I, I should be. And can you see what, what ends up happening is, is we can even sort of start to move this, this doing, uh, this trying, even to our spiritual activities that we do here as a church. And then what we're basically doing is we're saying, no, no, it's one more thing I have to do. It's one more place I have to go. It's one more group I have to be in. And can you imagine how exhausting that life is? And you're never going to grow enough, and we're never going to be able to offer you enough. You can go to every church in the city, and it's still not going to be enough if that's your strategy for growth. Paul says, no, you already are something. You already are in Christ. And you bring that with you wherever you go. In fact, I want you to read verse 17. This is such a beautiful verse, and we're going to just camp out here for a second. Paul says, look, whatever you do, whatever you do, he talked about these hymns and spiritual songs and praying and holding each other accountable and doing things together. He goes, you know, whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, whether you're, whatever it is, no matter what you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Just do it. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, Paul is making a very huge turn for this church in Colossae, and I believe for our church today. He's saying, look, here's, here's what I want you to do. Whatever you're doing, it's spiritual. It's already spiritual. And so do it all for God, whatever it is. Do it all for God. What about this? Do that for God, too. What about my work? Do that for God, too. What about my relationship? Yeah, do that for God, too. You know what? Whatever it is in word or deed, do it all. Do it all for God. Do it all. For God, giving thanks to him, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is happening beneath the surface here is there was, as we talked about in week one, there was some teaching that was coming into this church, and it was a form of um, asceticism, and there was also a form of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism basically is a, um, an extreme version of dualism. Dualism is basically, <laughs> say with me, Dualism basically is things are all good or all bad. It's either light or it's dark. It's black or it's white. And so the danger of a dualistic point of view, which basically led to Gnosticism, is that basically it's either totally human, and this also led to asceticism as well. If it's human, it's bad. If it's spiritual, it's good. If it's of earth and of us, it's bad. And if it's of spiritual things, then it must be good. And in the process of doing that, once again, Jesus sort of got pulled out of the equation. And so now you have this dualistic view. It's either this or it's that. It's either good or it's bad. Now we have language for this in our world today. And if you didn't grow up around the church, this is going to just sound really weird to you. But for people who did kind of grow up around church, this is going to sound way uncomfortably too familiar. We have language. We wouldn't call it dualism or Gnosticism or things like that. We call things Christian and secular. And that's our definition. 
It's, Christian is good, secular is bad. Or it's less than good. We'll pray for it. <laughs> and we do, listen, we have a dangerous strand of dualism in our lives today. It's in, within the church, I should say. Again, if you grew up outside of the stuff, I mean, you can kind of just hit pause for a second, you know, just kind of look in and listen, because this is some dangerous teaching that still affects our church. Is that there are things that are Christian, and they are therefore inherently good. And there are things that are secular, and they are therefore inherently bad. And we all know that that just doesn't hold up across the board, does it? But yet we still do it. There's Christian music, and we have Christian radio stations, and then there's secular music, and there's secular radio stations. There are Christian movies that, you know, some people go to, and then there are (laughs) secular movies, right? And, And you can see the difference. You can tell the difference. I was talking to a friend recently who said, I can hear the first three bars of a song and tell you whether it's Christian or secular. And I'm not saying which is which or how he tells which, but we know that there's a difference. We divide things up. We divide our work up. I've had many people say to me, well, you know, I don't, I don't have a, you know, I don't, I don't have a job like, I, have a, I don't have a job like you. You know, they're referring to me and being a pastor and like, you know, I have a, I have a secular job. And it's, you know, at first it's like, Secular? What do you do? You guys like slaughter goats and worship the devil? What happens? What is a secular? Aren't kind of all jobs secular? Like, what does that mean? And there's this thing like, well, no, you work at a church, so it must be like literally that there's angels at the copy machine, and that and that you know you just sit around for hours studying God's word together, and that must be what it's like. And so because it's Christian, it must be good. If it's secular, it must be bad. We divide things into those camps. We look at our relationships. I have my Christian friends and my non-Christian friends. And what begins to happen is we ascribe value to each of those, that one is better than the other. We do it to sports teams, Bears, Christian teams, Packers, secular team, right? We know we do it across the board. We do it across the board. And so because, because we are wired for that sort of, it's simple to put things into those categories, but life doesn't work that way. And God is much greater than our simple context and constructs. God says, okay, so, so basically what you're telling me is that you determine what's spiritual and therefore matters to me and what is secular and therefore doesn't. So then you are the one who's telling me and determining and telling me sort of the rules that I need to play by. You're telling me the things that I need to be interested in, the things that I care about and the things that I shouldn't. In fact, Christians and even the church can take it so far that not only do they say that Christian things are good and secular things are bad, but we are against secular things. And therefore, God must be against them too. I mean, Anne Lamott said, I know I've discovered when I created God in my own image because he hated all the same things I did. And this is, this is what we do. And God says, no, 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 okay. That, that, that may work for, for you, but here's what happens. Play that out. All those things that you say are secular or assume are unimportant to me, you leave me out of. You assume that I want nothing to do with that. And so you go into work and you just assume I, you leave me in the car all day. I mean, it's hot in here, right? You, you have relationships that you go, okay, around here, these are my Christian friends, but these are my non-Christian friends. And, and you literally, I, I don't, you don't invite me in. I don't go with you because you've determined I want nothing to do with that. And you've told me what matters to me. You got to say, no, 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 no. Let me, let me kind of open it up for you. It's, there's not spiritual things and unspiritual. It's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. 
And so maybe the better posture for you and I to take is instead of classifying and determining, well, this is good and this is bad and this is Christian, this is secular, this is what God cares about, this is what God doesn't care about. And don't get me wrong, there are sinful, hurtful, harmful things. You're wise enough, mature enough to know that we're not talking about those things. But when we divide those things up and we say, well, I need to do more spiritual things, we exclude about 95% of our everyday life from God. God says, you know what? Maybe in try, instead of trying to do more spiritual things for me and kind of get more points on the spiritual scoreboard, what if you just did everything more spiritually? What if instead of trying to do more spiritual things, or trying to do more spiritual things that you thought were over on this side and that mattered to me, like getting up and reading your Bible and having a quiet time, those things absolutely matter. Making sure that you have Christian music on the car absolutely matters. Very important. But you know what? Those things are great. There's a whole lot more than that, though. And instead of trying to do more spiritual things, I want you to live your life more spiritually. I want you to be aware of my presence in every setting, in every relationship, at every moment, every opportunity. I'm present. I'm there. And because I'm there, everything is ripe with redemptive potential. And because I'm there, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Instead of trying to do more spiritual things, I want to do things more spiritually. I want to be more connected to, more aware of, more in line with who God is and where he's at and what he's doing. I want to wear out what these things that are already in me in every situation. I shouldn't have to change my clothes when I go out to hang out with my non-Christian friends or when I go into work. I should wear kindness, compassion, gentleness, forgiveness, humility everywhere I go. Because when I do, I become a reflection of the invisible God and a reminder to myself of who I already am. You see the difference? So let's play that out. Let's play that out. What would it look like tomorrow for you to actually live more spiritually instead of just trying to do more spiritual things? Well, it starts with tonight when you go to bed. And you might want to write these things down. Like This is like an action plan. It starts tonight when you go to bed. And it starts by actually going to bed. It starts with saying, you know what, I'm going to rest because God actually cares about my rest and recovery. And he made me human and I have limits. And I'm here to confess, there are many nights. Last night was one of them. I just said, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep working. I'll put rest off till tomorrow. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll do, you know, I can push that off. And the truth is, no, you know what God actually values? So much so it's in one of the Ten Commandments. He gives us a day to rest, a Sabbath to rest, to recover, to replenish, to remind us that we have limits and that he cares about our rest. This is what's so crazy. Your sleep can become spiritual. Your sleep can become an act of worship. It's crazy, isn't it? But it's true. Tonight, you say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to keep watching this. I'm not going to keep eating this. I'm not going to keep working on this. I'm going to go to bed because I want to be fully alive and aware and present with God tomorrow. So this is my little act of worship right now, God. Whatever I do in word or deed, including going to bed, I'm going to bed right now because I believe that this matters to you. When you get up and when you're getting ready in the morning, and for some of you, that's, you know, a five-minute experience. For some of you, that's longer. As you're getting ready, you're reminded, you're looking in the mirror going, God, thank you that you've given me breath. You've given me life today. As you're getting dressed, God, thank you for how you've provided for me. God, look at all that you've done to provide for me. I may complain that I don't like this and I don't have enough clothes and this doesn't fit anymore. I have options. And that's more than 90% of the world. Thank you, God. 
God, even as I look at these clothes, I'm reminded today I'm going to put on compassion, kindness. Do you see what happens? It becomes an active way of praying and being present with God as opposed to trying to get through 15-minute block in the morning. Okay, God, I'm aware of you. I'm aware, even as I'm getting ready. Okay, as I'm heading to work, right? So however you head to work, head to school, whether you walk, whether you take public transportation, whether you drive. Some of you have long drives, right? Or long commutes, whatever it may be. This is a great opportunity to anticipate the day ahead. God, today I know that I'm going to be walking into this situation. I know, God, that the first person I'm going to see is this person. And God, I just, there's parts of me that just want to stab them in the eye some days. And so God, I need you to put on me. I need you to remind me of who I already am to have compassion and kindness and gentleness, to be one who forgives because I've already been forgiven. I'm praying ahead through my day as I drive to work, praying through the relationships that I'm going to interact with. And then while I'm at work, while I'm at school, I know that my effort, my excellence honors the Lord, that diligence actually matters to God. If you doubt this, read Proverbs sometimes. God is very clear about what honors him when it comes to how we work and the level with which how we work, not just what we do, but the way that we do it. And that is a way for us to be present with God, working hard, staying focused, not wasting time, not stealing from our employer by spending hours on YouTube. Say, God, I want to honor you. I want to honor you in ways that my boss may never see, these people may never see, but I believe you're here. I believe this is actually spiritual. I believe because you're present, this moment has redemptive potential. And so I'm present here with you as well, God. As you finish work, maybe you go to work out or wherever you do that in your day. This is a great reminder as you're working out. My wife does an amazing job. When she runs, when she is working out, she puts on worship music to 11. And she sings it at 12. Like, it is the world, the gym, the neighborhood. Everyone knows what Jeannie is listening to, right? So that's her spiritual practice. Mine, mine, is, mine is a little different. It has a little more beat in, in when I run. But the point is, you can pray. You can actively pray. And I learned this when we were training and running for the marathon. Like I had a lot of time to be present with God and say, okay, God, I believe that my body is actually the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you were the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. God, the fact that I can even do this right now, thank you, thank you, thank you. When you go to hang out with friends, you ask intentional questions. And it was so fun to hear some of the stories back from many of you who are here Wednesday night as we wrote on stones one thing we are thankful for this last year that God has done, and then you took and, and you asked around the Thanksgiving table, what's one thing you're thankful for? And you'd think on Thanksgiving, that would be like an, an easy no-brainer. At our table, Gene and I, all great folks are all having a great time. It was like, do, do we do it now? Do we do it now? Do we talk now? And so basically, Gigi, our three-year-old, started asking the question about what their, people are thankful for. So we just wrote her coattails as uh, we did that spiritual exercise. And so when you show up to your relationships, your friends that you're hanging out with at night, whether you're going out or whether you're staying in or wherever it is, with your spouse, with your kids. You can acknowledge God's presence by asking intentional questions, by being thoughtful, by being a servant around the circle when maybe no one else is. By being the first one to extend generosity, compassion. Do you see what begins to happen when you don't just try to do more spiritual things, but you do things more spiritually? You see how it can transform your day? Can you imagine a day like that tomorrow? Can you imagine what that day would be like? Okay, so guess what? It's possible. 
for any one of us. And listen, you don't have to be a Christian. You can still try all the stuff. See how it works. See if it doesn't change your perspective. For those of us who would call ourselves Christians and are in a relationship with God, you know why this is possible? Because therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, it's already in you. It's already possible. And if God is here and God is here, then he can be here everywhere I go. It's already possible. You don't have to try and do more spiritual things, but you can begin to learn to live your life more spiritually, more connected to God at work all around you. There's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful quote by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. That's the last time I'm going to pronounce his name. But I think he captures it well, what Paul is saying here in Colossians 3. He said, we're we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. We're not human beings trying to be more spiritual to sort of win something from God or win some approval. The strategy of doing more in hopes of being is a flawed strategy. What Paul is saying here, what we see in this beautiful quote is, no, you already are. If you are in relationship with God, then Christ is in you. Then everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And so you live out your human day, your every day, your ordinary day, fully present with God. Our hope is, our hope is tomorrow that you would have a day like that. A day with God, fully present. A day where you put on who you already are and live it out in the everyday ordinary things around you. And that the more and more and more we live that out, when we gather here on Sundays, this time is transformed. When we gather here on Sundays, it's the cherry on top. It's not our spiritual fix for the week. It's not our hope to try and get our Bible filled for the week, and then I'll see you next week. This is just kind of like the exclamation point at the end of the week. This is the, this is the, this is shoots us out. This sends us out into our lives and into our week. We we don't come to church. We go from church. We are like, yes, I am going to live this out throughout the week. That's seven is greater than one. That's us living out. That's moments that lead to movement. We talk about around here. So no, this is going to live out. That's where transformation happens. When I say, no, I'm going to commit to being who God has already made me to be. And out of that, we'll begin to flow. We'll begin to flow the fruit of the spirit will begin to flow the life God's created me to live. I'm going to invite the band to come back up right now, and we're going to do something that we do regularly around here. It's one of the many ways that we say thanks to God. We're going to receive our offering here in a moment. This is just another one of those things. We look at our money, our wallet, and go, yeah, this is spiritual. What if this was spiritual? What if even this has redemptive potential in it? What if this isn't just stuff to pay bills? What if this isn't just stuff to get a paycheck at the end of the week, to get more stuff, or to try and get out of debt? What if this stuff actually had, it does, spiritual potential? And so that's why we give around here. Because there's just not enough ways to say thank you to God. So this is just one of the ways that we say thank you to God. We acknowledge his generosity, and we put on who we already are in him by giving back to him. We're going to do that in a moment. Before we do, though, I want to pray for you, and I specifically want to pray for your day tomorrow to have a full day with Jesus. Let's pray together right now. God, thank you so much that what is true, what we have seen to be true in this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, 
what we see to be what you are speaking to us even now in this moment. We accept and believe the truth that Jesus, when we enter into relationship with you, you are in us. And you've created us to actually have a relationship with you based on what you've already done for us. And because of what you've already done and who we are in you and you are in us, we actually then now long to live that out, God, in a way that reflects the invisible God to the world around us, that reminds us of who we actually already are. God, I pray that tomorrow we would actually choose to say, you know what? Now this day, this day belongs to the Lord. I'm going to bring all of myself to it and expect that he is already fully present. And God, I pray that you would actually stir up an excitement in us to meet with you, to look for you throughout our lives and throughout our day. And then the process of meeting with you and finding that, God, every opportunity is already spiritual. Every opportunity is ripe with redemptive potential that we would be transformed in the process, made not only new, but made more true into who you've created us to be. And that the things that we do and offer up to you and to this world would flow so naturally and beautifully out of who we already are in you. Thank you for your word, your truth that challenges and transforms us here in this space today. In your name, amen.